we might as well start. Good time to start. Good to see uh, you guys out tonight. And uh, it is always a privilege to get into the Word of God. This is uh, we're in Second Samuel, and uh, for you uh, all are wondering what is this about? Where are we at? We're right in the middle of it. But it's everybody is familiar with David, and of course the sin with Bathsheba, and then killing uh, her husband Uriah, and uh, we see then David's repentance, like about a year later, brought forth by Nathan, Nathan, who said, "You are the man." And it hit David that he had sinned against God. He confesses the sin. And uh, Nathan even said that your sin is taken away. Uh, You will not die. Because of what he had done, he deserved death. There was murder there. Uh, Also, we see a lot of other things that was involved. But then last week we looked at the uh, aspect of Amnon, who which is a son of David, rapes his half-sister. And then Absalom gets involved. He's not happy about that. Absalom and uh, the lady that got raped happened to be his sister, full sister, and uh, he keeps that in mind for the next two years. Um, And he then kills his half-brother Amnon, Absalom does. Then Absalom has to flee, goes to Gesher, which uh, happens to be his grandfather there. He's the king of Gesher. And uh, anyway, he was able to stay there for a while, and that's where we get into uh, our situation tonight, where he's going to come back home. Yeah, and that's what leads us in to... David, we know, is a man of God. He's a man after God's own heart. He is a believer. He's a true believer. And he has uh, a lot to do with being the son of... Well, he would be... He would have son Solomon, who would be the next king, and it would follow that Jesus would be in that line of David. That's all grace. It's all grace that God did there. And this whole story is is grace. Because David, what could have happened to him all that time? He could have been killed by Saul, who chased him down. Uh, there been could have been a lot of things. Or David could have just turned against God and gone evil and wicked himself and gone rogue. But uh, he does something that is wicked, that is evil, that is very sinful... Uh, and what we have seen so far, it seems like David is kind of lagging a little bit. And I'm going to put this word. It doesn't seem that David brought... um, uh, It does seem that David brought a lot of pain that he experienced. Uh, Was David, who had the loss of Amnon... Uh, the rape of his daughter, and he knew about that. And then we know that Absalom turns out to be a murderer of his brother, and David really did nothing about it. And we brought that forth last week, 
we know that we can pick on David all we want, but it always turns out that this is the nature of man. If he is not converted, if he doesn't know Christ, everybody has a deep need for a Savior. His sin is covered and taken away because of Christ. Our sin is also, because of what David did, we wouldn't want to do those things. Not because, oh, God's, He'll take care of you in that sense. Yeah, He'll punish you. No, it's because we want to do things that please God. Not because we will get punished, but it's because we love God. And, you know, we can point out David's horrible failures of being a parent, but I will say that there's no such thing as a perfect parent. We might all think what we've been great parents. I don't think we're thinking that at all. But we'll say because of his failures, he brought about his downfall and the death of his son. And, uh, you know, it's not that David is without sin or failure here. But we tend to jump all over David because see, maybe he's not the best parent. And look, look at the sin that he did. And so we start picking him apart. The thing is, is that Absalom's downfall was because it was his own sin. David didn't make him sin. He did what he did because he chose to do that kind of sin. He really did. David did too, but it was his own choice. But I will put it this way. God is graciously ministering to David throughout all of this dark time that goes through. There are a lot of consequences, but I want to tell you, it's not because God is punishing him somehow. There's a thing called discipline of making him closer to God. That is the idea. And that's what he's doing with us. And we use that illustration. Rather than being out there where David, you know, David could get the whip put on him like that, God is bringing him closer where he can't punish him. And his sins are taken away. I mean, does this magnify grace? And who are we to point fingers at David when we haven't done such a hot job either? And so that's kind of the, uh, the uh, idea here. He's a man after God's own heart. The story is filled, though, with intrigue and a lot of sorrow. And it would be tempting to say, I'd rather not be around for the next few weeks because of the consequences here, right? I want to tell you, what we see here is also there's much comfort and assurance to be found here because... We need this inspired account of God's Word. This is how grace is. I think it's magnified much more than sin. You know, because of grace, will sin exceed even more? No. Sin can't outdo God's grace. Never can. So, we want to be careful how we look at it. At the same time, we want to we just don't want to ignore the sin here. and You do see the, thing that, the things that happen. 
But I think what we want to get across is it's not so much punishment as is discipline that God is bringing David closer than he's ever been before. Now, how does that sound? That sound like a twist? I hope I'm not twisting it. I I want us to really magnify God's grace here, even though you really don't see it here. It is there completely. Let's pray. Father, great God, You are a holy God and You never wink at sin. And even though You're very, very patient, You eventually do judge sin. And Lord, we thank You that You judged our sins that were taken away at the cross. And there's much to learn and to take away from the Scripture tonight. Uh, By Your Spirit, Lord, uh, impress upon us who Your character is and what You do. And we see Your grace, Your mercy, and love. At the same time, we do see consequences of sin as it does fall like dominoes. But yet, You're always there. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, first 20 verses going to be dealing with the woman from Tekoa. Almost sounds like a song. Deep Purple or somebody like put out. (laughs) So they had a song called Woman from Tokyo. This is a woman from Tekoa. You guys ever remember that song? The Woman from Tokyo? Sing it. No. I'm not going to do that. I'm afraid I don't know the words and if I did I would go no I better not be singing that here (laughs) I don't know it deep purple yeah (laughs) what's that (laughs) you're good he is a member or was a member of deep purple that's right I was a Deep Purple fan. I, yeah, I played the songs. I can't even. I don't even know the lyrics. I just played Guitar Man, and I just <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Okay, enough of that. Chapter fourteen. Hey, Vil, can you read the first three verses for us? Yes, sir. It says now Joab, the son of Zechariah, knew that the king's heart went out for Absalom, and Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Alright. We have David in the previous verse before chapter 14. Uh, he longed to go see Absalom, his son, who had killed his other son, Amnon. He longed to go see him, but he didn't go see him. Well, what would happen if he brought his son back to Jerusalem? What do you think the people are thinking? He's a murderer. Mm-hmm. What does the law say about murder? Put him to death. Put him to death. That's what the law says. I'm sure there are many people keeping that from happening. David doesn't go there because of the same reason. But he longs for him, but he's comforted concerning Amnon. Amnon is dead. Okay, he got over that. He got over that. If you get over it, whatever it is. But, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, okay, here it is. 
And so Joab knows David real well. Whatever Joab does, ah, even though it seems good, there's usually an ulterior motive. So watch out for that kind of motive as we go through this tonight. He, he's gone over... I think David is comforted in the sense that, okay, all that mourning has gone over that, but um, here you have uh, David loving Amnon. It's his son. He's his son. Um, he's in political asylum in Gesher. And he better not bring him back and we know that Joab knows the thinking of David, probably has heard about it, I'm sure that. He's, he always uses trickery and deception, and it's usually for his own self-serving agenda. Uh, he knows how to manipulate David. He's seeking to manipulate David here, and he pretty well pulls it off, actually. Uh, but he's going to get Absalom back to Israel. He comes up with a story for a woman to go to David and do this. Joab uh, is actually, maybe he knows how to obstruct justice a little bit. Joab's actions are usually a little less than noble. But he gets this woman, tells her the story, you tell this to David. And so that's what it is. And uh, so he's going to help David here by this woman uh, coming there to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Here's what you say. So the woman comes to David and tells the story. And it might appear uh, at this glance here at the story that the woman from Tekoa is not the same kind of story that Nathan had. It's not exactly like that, but in another way, it's kind of close to it, in a sense. It's to get to David. So, um, it says in verse 4, When a woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground, prostrated herself, and said, Help, O king. I've got this problem. The king said, What's your trouble? She answered, Truly, I'm a widow, for my husband is dead. Your maidservant had two sons, but the two of them struggled together in the field and there was no one to separate them, so one struck the other and killed him. So now she has a dead husband and now a dead son who her other son killed her other son. Now behold, the whole family has risen against your maidservant. Everybody's against her talking about And they say, hand over the one who struck his brother that we may put him to death. For the life of his brother whom he killed and destroy the heir also. Thus they will extinguish my coal which is left. That's all she has left burning. So as to leave my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Now this is not a true story. But she's telling it like it's really hers. And her two sons and her husband. See what's happened? Now there's one son. I'm hiding him out. Uh, They want to kill him. Uh, one son killed the other son. Well, it sounds like David's story here. So you see what Joab is doesn't doing have here. Have a hundred other sons. No. What's that? 
It's not like David doesn't have a hundred other sons. <laughs> right. It's yeah. not like this and leave my husband need a name or remnant on face here. Well, she's got David's gonna, add. gonna have she's, a whole school yeah, anyway. Yeah. She's got to add to it, but you know, yeah. You know, David's like what's funny? I not anything like Multiple wives. And we've been talking about that a lot. And looking in Genesis, man created, uh, God created man and gave him a wife. The two shall become one. God always meant for there to be one husband, one wife. You see that in the New Testament in uh, the qualifications of an elder, for instance. They're not to have multiple wives, for instance. And, and we know that that is not the custom in our time, even though there are religious groups that do do it. It was never right in the first place. And we look, Abraham, he had multiple wives. You see it constantly where men of God have that. Did God ever give credence or command that to happen. No, he allowed it, he permitted it, but he never ever set it forth for it to ever be. And all you have to do is look at the consequences and the the bad things that come along with that. You get the jealousy and of you know one, he's going to favor one over another and uh, of course it just takes I never see it where it is a good thing. God meant for the two to become one. But so, uh, and as it progresses throughout the Old Testament, you see nothing but yeah. bad things. And so it was not, not meant. A lot of the characters in the Bible have multiple wives. Um, it just seems like continue, as the Bible continues through the Old Testament, like it gets more and more. You know, like it seems like the more we read about it, it's like at first, yeah, this guy had one or two. But then it seems like as you progress, especially with these kings, then they started like really multiplying their wives. David. And it's, it's Solomon. crazy how that just kind of skyrockets. And then everybody's like, well, the king's doing it. Must Why be right. Die? You know, yeah. He's anointed by God. If you have he's enough great. money to be yeah. able to do it. Well, that's what it was. It's kind of getting your daughter out of it. You can marry your daughter off to her. Absolutely, that's what they did. Yeah, on Matthew 19. And that's why they treated women horribly throughout those times. Hagar was given to it did create problems, but uh, and you know she agreed with it. But guess what? <laughs> yeah. It's hard for a man and a wife to be one if there are more wives. Yeah. There's more than one of them. You can't be one with all of them. I can't imagine how a, a wife could share another woman with your husband. God never meant that. I always read Genesis 5 and I always picture when Lamech is bragging first off that he's better than King. You know, when, if, if someone kills me, right, God will strike me down right. 70 times up, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, 
And then he also was the first person mentioned that took two wives, so the commodity thing is starting to occur. Right. And it, I, so anytime I read that chapter, all the way until you hit the end when Seth is born, it, it appears to me as though hope is lost, and this entire generation is just becoming more and more wicked. But then Seth is born, and then it says they praise God again. So like reset. It's, it's just you, I hope. Well, I mean, when it That's comes good. to, like, also Adam and Eve, it doesn't seem like Adam took any of his daughters. It seems like it was just him and her. Because he was real close to the first person. Yeah. yeah. So you're, it's you're like, also looking at it through an American view of the day and age. You go to Korea, North Korea, they don't even have a concept of individuality. That's the mindset over there still. I mean, UBL had 79 what? Far from the truth of God is where they're at. they need a savior. Yeah, that's really they, what they need. Their country doesn't allow the gospel. Yeah. Although there's a lot of Christians there. Yeah, it was at one point the fastest growing Christian country in the entire. Oh, yeah, under oppression, Christ, oh. the power of the Spirit of God really is there. Where there's oppression, oppression yep. here is different. Oppression here in the United States is different. It's a different. <laughs> it's a spiritual oppression. Okay, it's not a physical one. It's definitely on the TV, all the social media, all the freedoms and liberties that we have that we can do, that they're just continuing to spoon feed us this idea that we can do whatever we want and it's okay. And that there's no morality and there's no judgment and no condemnation. Whereas other nations are at least, no, don't go, don't read that book because it's it's the truth. Like even, <laughs> even other cultures, when they talk about the Bible, they confess it to be true. Their words for and the definition of those words are equals a truth. Like, you know, the Chinese, they, they call the Bible and translate it to the truth. So they don't want you reading the truth. They don't want you anywhere near it because then you will start to hurt this country's messed up. <laughs> you want to praise freely. What, what are some of the powerful names of back then? Because everybody says, well, someone's been lying. Well, been lying, no, been lying means it's other radio. So some other radio. What are, what are powerful names like that? That that Muslim culture, or the Hebrew, 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 David Hebrew, 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 all the any time you see like, um, let's say, the book of, uh, or you think of Joshua, what does that mean? It's Jehoshua, uh, God saves. Um, what uh, Ed, Isaiah? What does Isaiah mean? We're dealing with again. It, it ends with Yah, doesn't it? Um, Jeremiah. You, you've got God's name in almost every one of. Uh, like the prophet's Elisha. name, or people, Elisha, and Eli, you know, El, E-L, uh, which means God. Almost all of those names have that Samuel. Uh, there again, that would be God. Uh, you know, you think all the way throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah, you can um, just kind of, you can just sprinkle water on the Bible and just find all those, all Chronicles. Chronicles is a place that has a ton of names. Through, you know, find some really important people in there. So the Yah is Yahweh, right? Yeah. It's, it's usually where we're going. Right. And the, the L is the great shepherd. 
Right. Like Daniel. Daniel. Uh, you have God's name in there. Ezekiel uh, with God's name. It's always pertaining to that. Jeremiah. Uh, Yah is also in there. Isaiah. Um, yeah. Just Yeshua. So, okay. Um, this, this story that's brought from the woman then, it kind of parallels Nathan coming, but Nathan was sent by God. Nathan was a prophet. This woman is not a prophet. She's not sent by God. She's sent by Joab. <laughs> and she's kind of afraid of Joab, to be honest with you. And a lot of people probably had a good reason to. <laughs> so, you know, there's some things that are close, but yet some things are quite a bit different. Uh, each time the woman says something, then David responds back, and then what she's going to try to do though is get a commitment from David. Uh, it's going to apply to her situation, and then David responds to the situation uh, with his son Absalom. So we get David responding in verse 8, the king said to the woman, go to your house, I'll give orders concerning you. You know what he's saying there? Um, okay, now just a minute. Um, Okay, listen, let me think about this, right? Uh, the woman comes right back, said to the king, O oh my lord, the king, the iniquity is on me and my father's house, but the king and his throne are guiltless. Uh, what she's saying there is, well, you know, um, that's a difficult situation. I understand that you're seeing it like that. Uh, I know you don't want to really involve yourself. I'll just go my way and keep doing what I'm doing and I'll be the guilty one, and I'll take the heat, and you will be guiltless. She keeps replying back really good. And so she doesn't let him get out of it very easily. Uh, verse 10, So the king said, Whoever speaks to you, bring him to me, and he will not touch you anymore. Uh, so there he replies back, and she said, Well, please let the king remember the Lord your God, so that the avenger of blood will not continue to destroy, otherwise they will destroy my son. And so what she's saying, Well, that's fine, that's very kind of you, king, but wouldn't it be easier and better if you just made a ruling on this matter? Because if you just say that, then they're not going to know, and uh, they will probably do what they want to do anyway. So... <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then he says, as the Lord lives, and puts an oath here, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. David says, okay, you've got the ruling. You ask for it. As the Lord lives, not one hair will uh, fall to the ground. Now the woman gets to the heart of the matter here in 12 through 7. This is where she's really wanting to get David. Then the woman said, please let your maidservant speak a word to my Lord the King. And he said, speak. The woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in speaking the word, the king is the one who is guilty, and that the king does not bring back his banished one. Now she has pointed the finger at him. For we will surely die and are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Now the reason I have come to speak this word to my lord the king is that the people have made me afraid. 
So your maidservant said, Let me now speak to the king. Perhaps the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy both me and my son from the inheritance of God. Then your maidservant said, Please let the word of my lord the king be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my lord the king to discern good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. So she speaks. Gets to the matter uh, right quickly there. I thank you very much, O king. Doesn't your ruling on my behalf pose a problem for you? Um, why are you not doing the same thing? And now you're, you know, you're affecting the nation of Israel here. Um, and so she's using Joab's words, I think, very carefully, and she's able to get David to commit to you know himself to the safety of her son. She did that. And uh, David's getting the punchline here. He's getting it and where he was trying to move around and maneuver a little bit with it. In verse 18, Then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide anything from me that I am about to ask you. <laughs> and the woman said, Let my lord the king please speak. So the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? That's good. He knows Joab too, doesn't he? Joab knows him very well. And the woman replied, As your soul lives, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. Indeed, it was your servant Joab who commanded me, and it was he who put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant, in order to change the appearance of things your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord is wise, like the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all that is in the earth. So David is really going to protect, but she doesn't really have those sons that did that. But it got him to the point, oh, I see where you're hitting. I just want to say that it takes a lot of courage for this woman to go up to David. Like, it's deep. Yeah, a little bit bold. A lot of bold, maybe. But, you know, to be able to stand before the king and to say some of the things that, you know, she said, because some of the things that she said really carry weight. You know, those words are not just like simple jabs. Those are like gut punch words. And, you know, to say something like that before the king is pretty like, even though she was told to do it. You know, right. It doesn't mean that, you know, not anybody could just go up to the king and speak the way they want. Because, you know, get this person out of here. Throw him in chains. I don't want to see him in my city again. You know? Right. So, I don't know. He, he got it. Very he got it, but it was almost like he knew, and he did know. Mm-hmm. He knew the source where this came from. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. He would say, "Oh, <laughs> not me. I'm not going to do that." And so we go right into the next verse, and he gets hold of Joab, <laughs> and tells Joab. Then the king said to Joab, Behold, now I will surely do this thing. (laughs) Go therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Bring me back to the city. You know, Absalom was not in a world of hurt at all. No, he He was was doing pretty good. Yeah. 
Which is what he's accustomed to. I just think this whole thing is bad. All bad. I think Joab really had some other kind of motive, don't you think that? Oh, yeah. Absalom did not need to come back to Jerusalem. Not. I mean, Joab is looking at it from a different perspective. Because Joab is the second in command. So he's got to make sure he's always made sure that David is at, at the top of his game. I mean, more or less. You know, he's got his own, he's got his own motives. He's committed his own crimes. But you know, he's still an Israelite, and I think I think Joab stands for the Israelite nation in most of what he does because. Well, Israel means deceiver anyway, right? Yeah. You know, you know, <laughs> he's he's got to make sure that if whatever happens to David, because they don't know if David's going to be king for how long. And if David he's loses, got a boatload of sons. Yeah, I know, but the, there's always... Absalom does not need to come back to <laughs> And that's what Absalom had in mind anyway. because Amnon was the next in line. He killed Amnon. Yeah, but... But Absolutely. why did he do it? Because he's mad because what he did to his sister. That's what I'm saying. Absalom didn't kill Do you think he didn't get involved in all the weird sexuality, the rape of Tamar and all that stuff because of the crimes he did with Bathsheba? Yep. So so good. Good. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. Go That's what I'd say. I don't like to judge over you guys. Right. Well, he's being accused of things Okay, well, the rest of the story. Here it is. Joab fell on his face to the ground, prostrated himself, blessed the king. Then Joab said, Why is he so happy about this? Today your servant knows that I have found favor. I have found favor in your sight. This is the king's own son. Absalom's more excited than David is. Oh, my lord the king, that the king has performed the request of his servant. <laughs> That's right, he requested it in a roundabout way, didn't he? So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. However, the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. Now in all Israel was no one as handsome as Absalom. So highly praised from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. When he cut the hair of his head, and it was at the end of every year that he cut it, for it was heavy on him, so he cut it. Must be nice. That's my version. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels by the king's weight. To Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter whose name was... Tamar. He named his daughter after his sister. This is the third Tamar now that we've heard of in the Bible. And she was a woman of beautiful appearance. Took right after daddy. Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. How much hair do you have to have <laughs> you saw the pictures of Dennis when he was rocking. He had that much hair. I, I saw it, but I still don't think you're These people must have been ogres. These people must have been passive. Because 
There's no way your hair is going to weigh 200 pounds. It's 500. Well, it's 200 shekels. So how much is a shekel? And uh, I'm going to my notes here. I wrote that down, or it was somewhere in my Bible. Uh, the hair of his head. Uh, oh, it's approximately five pounds of a hair that had to be cut off. That's still a lot. I can't even imagine that. Because I figure hair's pretty light. Me and Ed, we're not saying anything. We're not saying nothing. <laughs> like, like people from Marshall Island with their hair down to their ankles. I had a neighbor lady that could be five pounds. Take a break, take her hair and braid it up, and had this big thing on top of her head because if she left it down, she got headaches. Uh, yeah, that's, that's why I cut my hair. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have them at some point? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, okay. I tried several He's times. That's so, right, he did. Yeah. But they yeah. said my hair's too soft. The, those must have weighed five pounds at least, right? Freedom. You have real thick hair, don't you? Carolyn has real thick hair. Sometimes you, you almost feel like it's a curse, though, because everybody likes thick hair. But when you have that and... You know, you, especially in the summertime, right? And it's down to here. Okay, moving on. You can braid one with long, flowing, beautiful hair or you can be on time. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> he delivered that crate, didn't he? The guy has super time. <laughs> so, two years in Jerusalem, the king didn't even see him. Absalom then sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. So, Joab got him there. He's not even seeing Joab. So he sent again a second time, but Joab didn't come. Hmm. Okay. Therefore he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine. He has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose, got his attention, came to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom, this is exactly why Absalom wanted him there. He got his attention. Tried it twice, didn't get you, so three strikes, you're out. He answered Joab, Behold, I sent for you, saying, Come here, that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Gesher? Just like you say, Penny. He had a lot better off up there at the other king's place. His grandfather's. It would be better for me still to be there. There you go. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. That's his dad. <laughs> and if there is iniquity in me, let him put me to death. Give me liberty or give me death. I really believe that's what he's saying. If there's any iniquity in him, are you kidding me? You're a murderer. Has he asked for forgiveness? Has he repented? No. So when Joab came to the king and told him, he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king, David, kissed Absalom. Turns out to be, oh, that's really nice. 
Absalom is recalled as part two of this story here. David's response is, all right, Joab, I'll grant your request. Bring back my son. He was, uh, he did, and he was in house arrest is what it was. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Kind of idea. Idea. He can't get out there and roam out there free. He was before. That's why he says, "Why are you know? Why can't I get out?" Well, you know, his sister, who got raped. You remember, he kind of took her in, and which is good. But I think it said in fourteen, he said, "You keep quiet. Don't tell anybody. Don't take this matter to heart." And Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. That's what he wants. And then that allows him then, he says, you just be quiet, just stay here. I'll take care of you. She's desolate for the rest of her, her life. It makes me wonder if she I think yeah. all of the above. And I think Joab is there just, or uh, not Joab, uh, Absalom, is just making it worse. Yes. I don't like Absalom. <laughs> I want him to go back to Easter. He doesn't need to be in Jerusalem. He needs to go back. I think she's still there. I'm still hoping there. she went to Geisher and stayed with well, that's what I, that's I'm hoping she did. Yeah. <laughs> she needs to you know, honestly, Absalom. I actually like Absalom in the story. What is he, the devil's advocate here? Kind of. <laughs> I like Absalom and I like Joab. I know that sounds weird. I don't like everything that Joab does, but you know, from my perspective, knowing how close David and Joab were, and how David obviously favored Absalom, even though he had an older son, you know, he favored one son. There's a good chance that Joab was really, really kin to these kids. There's a good chance of that because when you're in war together and you're fighting together and you're serving together. And you're just there in each other's lives for a big portion of it. And the king, well, usually what the king favors, Joab seems to favor as well. They're, they're cousins. You know, they're not so far from each other. So, you know. You're getting us into the family life yeah, here. Yeah. But, but a bell, he always takes... Joab is probably jealous of David and thinks he would make a better king anyway. I don't think Joab thinks that at all because, because it, it would be like if I see somebody and they're obviously meant to leave if I can stay in second place by that person I'm good with that because that means that we have a better chance of succeeding kind of help up steer her along exactly right? right and that's exactly what he is doing yeah. he's yeah. making sure that he has no right to any of this thing in second place I, I think he does have a right to it because David said well, whoever goes in and kills these people will be like second in command, and who is the first to charge him? John, because he's, he's, he's meant to have that power. Kids. He's going to make sure these kids oh, yeah. don't interfere with any of his plans. 
Would that be kind of like Biden's wife? <laughs> the doctor? Dr. Bill's coming. I'm saying that, you know, because David was still upset over what happened in his house, and it was causing problems. It was just causing more problems for David because David isn't being the leader he's supposed to be. You know, he's not... It doesn't seem like David is very... David right now is like in the beginning of his rulership before Bathsheba. You know, when we read about King David before that event, he's a mighty warrior. He's striving. He's battling. He's fighting. He's winning. And yet, I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction happening. And Joab is trying to get it to continue to go forward. And, you know, because I have that mindset when things aren't right and things aren't moving forward, I want to figure out what the problem is and what's causing the delay, what's causing the slowdown. And it's like, David is missing his son Absalom. Absalom can't come here because he murdered his brother, so he's probably going to be murdered. And King David can't go to him because, you know, what's a king going to a murderer first off? And then second, what if David goes to him and gets assassinated? Or what if Absalom's like, what if I coach the king and I get assassinated? Also, really, did Absalom need to really break that big Right. Compared to what David did. Right? So, I mean, so there's like, there's less sword on Absalom's neck than there should be on David. I mean, David's neck was pretty much in the guillotine. And the I think a lot of it comes back to the sexual history of Bathsheba. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes back. And, I mean, Nathan the prophet warned that these events were going to take place. Well, and, and, and <laughs> yeah, he deserved death. The only thing is, the law also says that there still has to be court. Right. And you have to go through a process where it's done in a legal way. Well, he just went out and did it. Well, it's kind of like up in Columbia where a guy killed a drug, a so-called drug dealer, shot him the other night, and he died yesterday. And the man said, yeah, but he was selling drugs to children. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know... <laughs> That's right. So as long as you live for the crime, we'll benefit the crime. But it's all right. He's cleaning the streets. Nothing like a little bit of vigilante work. <laughs> So, what, what do we have here? Well, you know, it's interesting about Absalom. If there is any iniquity in me, let him put me to death then. If there's any sin here, let him go ahead and kill me. You know what? That is not repentance. Matter of fact, he's denying that he's even done anything wrong. He doesn't know the depravity of man. That's his problem. His nature is, is that uh, all throughout this, he did not give his father respect in this sense. And, he can say, well, and we can blame a lot on David here, but um, it sounds a little bit like he's saying, hey, I don't have any guilt. It's like, you know, does he, have any, does he really believe he is without guilt, without sin? Uh, I don't believe he has any regard for God's law. And no repentance under the law, he's a murderer. 
even though, and, and yeah, what Amnon did was really, really bad. <laughs> but the thing is, is the whole nation knows the way that it was done, and they put pressure on David. David doesn't see his son. He would like to see him, but yet, and it sounds like he has something really so much against him that he never wants to see him again. He just wants to go in there and torture him. And there probably is something to that, and his parenting is kind of bad in some senses. But here's where we're gonna we have to take this to, I guess, the level of where we're at. We know. Okay, let's go back to to David now. You have a tale of a trail of tears here, right? If you go back to the Bathsheba thing and and Uriah and and the death of his firstborn son, you say, well, see, he's paying for this now. God's getting him. And then, of course, the two brothers and one of them kills uh, the other. You know, there's one of his sons being killed by another son. Absalom flees. He he runs. And David, this has to be a basket case uh, for him uh, at this time. And suffering and adversity. Uh, You know, God is not uh, punishing, though. Somebody could say, well, you know that, yeah, I know that guy's in the church and he's a believer, but God's God's going to get him now. He's got to punish him. Well, we can't ever go with that kind of theology. Because in 2 Samuel 12.13, it says the Lord had taken his sin away. David will not die as far as the law is concerned right there. God was very merciful. He deserved death. Um, here's the thing that common, I think it's a common mistake by Christians. And you know the book of Job. Job's friends. And they were ready to finally put the finger to him. You must have done something. And even if he did, it still doesn't play into the fact of what God's saving method is. And, and God does not punish His people, His children. He does discipline. But uh, Christians are bad at that. You remember John 9, 1 and 2? That man is, was born blind. And what did the disciples say? Who, did, who sent? Was his mother or father or, or him? Well, what was the deal? Was that the way, you know? And what did Jesus say? Neither. Nobody. It wasn't because of one particular sin. Now it is because of the nature of man and all of sin and all of mankind. That's the results. That's why we have sin and death and all of the evil things that go on. Because of Adam and Eve and that's been passed on. The depravity of man is in everyone. So uh, when you think about that, it's just like that. And Jesus put forth, really, this man was born so that the glory of God could be seen. But he took away their theology of what everybody thought. Well, if if something bad is happening to you, it means you're living a wrong kind of life, and you can't say that about it. We don't know, do we? We do not know that. What's that? Don't we say that? And that's a good point. We can't take the fact that it, the consequences come. But yet, is God always punishing? But if we do something really, really bad, I don't. Whatever that is, is God going to punish us if we're His children? Well, I guess in a sense, depends on how you do it. But He punishes 
sin. He punishes people that are wicked and evil and ultimately is hell. Uh, but as far as uh, David's suffering, it was not because of that particular sin. But what God is doing though with all of this is drawing him closer to God. And what's happening is that God is giving him a different point of view of what sin does though. And he sees all around. He never saw anything like this. He's experiencing the worst kind, or Job experienced it, and there wasn't any sin you could really put on. He was the most righteous man there was. But was he still a sinner? Yeah, of course he was. What I'd like to know, though, is as far as the interpretation of this in Scripture, where uh, Absalom says, if there be any enemy, enemy, kill me. Is that a far different sense from Job saying that there, he has no iniquity, showing his iniquity? I've always thought that was a little. Not that Job had iniquity. I'm just saying that he had the right to say it, but why does he have the right to say that? And absolutely doesn't have it. Even absolutely has a arson problem. I think in the context of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame that so long. I approve this message. In the context of the book of Job, we know that, okay, he's a man, so therefore he has sin. But did God bring all that on because he had done some particular sin? Now, what's the difference between... Right, right. You must have done... And that's the theology, I think, of most people. God is punishing them. See what happens when you don't follow the Lord, you know? And and we, we go after our own, you know? We think that way... But the thing is, I think overall, God's is going to all the way to the end of the book of Job to show that He is over everything. And of course, He puts Job in His place there, because, but Job is a very good man. The reason he was attacked is because he was so righteous. So I think with the context of that being, there wasn't a really, uh, you know, a particular sin. He, of course, he didn't commit murder. Uh, he didn't commit adultery. He hadn't. Done, yeah, all right. Remember when he also did though for his kids? He went and he did offerings. He did offerings for all his children. So he did that for them as well as for himself. So he did try to be as pure or as close to God as he could. And he sure and he sure was close to God. But yeah, on Absalom is a different case. David, whenever he was confronted with his sin, what did he do? He repented. He confessed. We have Psalm 51. He felt it. And he knew that he had sinned against God. Absalom, in this case, you know, even though he felt he feels hurt because he can't see his dad. And I used to really get on David because there he could go to his son. But here's the deal. And it's almost like church discipline, which nobody likes today. But you have to, you know, Matthew 18, you know, if one commits sin and it's bad enough to where it brings really problems to the church or upon them, there's certain sins that stand out more than others, then what's the discipline? Somebody goes and talks to them in a loving way. 
Well, they, they totally deny it. A second person goes with that person and they talk and they still deny it. And they refuse to repent because the sin has been brought out. Then it's brought before the church. It's not to kick that person out, but it is to say, here is sin and we're giving you an opportunity a third time. And they still do not repent or confess it. And the church says, until you do, you are put out. And we see that uh, in a few places throughout there. And Jesus talked about it. But it's meant to restore that person because it's that serious of a sin. We've had to deal with it several times down to 36 years in this church. And it's the worst thing that I ever even have to deal with. It eats at me. It's like my stomach. There's nothing left of it. When you deal with it, everybody in the church feels it. It, it is a horrible thing, but you know that it has to be done. And because God says it, He wants a pure, holy church. And they would say, I have sinned against God. That they would confess like David, and then the church embraces them. Now, you know, I know a lot of religions have where they kick people out. But, you know, they, they don't go through this process of, listen, all it takes is a true confession. We want you to stay. But they are not going to get the blessings of the church if they continue in that sin. And it's going to tell everybody else in the church, all the children, that it's okay. It's okay to sin and do this and get away with it. Because they'll say, well, I know that such and such, he did it, so it's okay. It must be okay. So they do it. So, you know, there's a lot of things behind that. The, the story here, I think, is God to David is that what is he doing? He's bringing him close. We're seeing now that the heart, as we move on into the next chapter, the heart of his son Absalom turns even more bitter. It's too bad that David didn't go there, but you know what? I think because there was no repentance, because there was no confession, how can you have reconciliation without repentance? Absalom has absolutely no respect for his father when he's kissed by David. I mean, you can see him like any kid thinking, boy, is he an idiot. Yeah. Got away with it. Right. There I can I see go. that I'm Absalom good. is He's very angry. He's he is? very, very angry from what happened to his sister. He's angry that his father didn't do anything. He's angry that he feels like he has to take it into his own hands. And then he has to flee. And then he gets brought back by the word of his... Probably, Joab was probably close because that's why Joab was able to go to him. I mean, if Absalom is on the run, living out like David would, would David just trust anybody to come up to him? Probably not. So Joab has some close connections with Absalom. That's why Absalom trusts him enough to come into the lion's den where he knows he's committed a crime. And then he's stuck in that house and he sends for the man who came out to get him. No response. I'd be mad too. He's That's mad. Yeah. That but the thing is, I can hear this. I didn't say it makes Any it right. of it. I didn't say it makes Any it right. of it. But we're always justifying Joe. Or we're, Murder, we're justifying David. We justify everybody else who's in the Old Testament. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's a, it's a nice no, we didn't justify David either. 
How far but good point there, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. That's, that's the way I've always yeah. seen it. It's a, it's a it's a lesson in how far one sin can actually take you. Because right. years and years later, David didn't address this in my opinion. Yeah. Because he was like, how can I address this? I'm 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 guilty to them now. Yeah. Right. Right. So my son rapes my other son's sister, and, yeah. and what am I supposed right. to do? How can I intervene? And so right. I understand where yeah. Absalom yeah. is like. You're supposed to be the king. You're supposed yeah. to be my father. You're supposed to be her father. Yeah. So what is what is wrong with you? Where's the justice? Yeah, right. That's it. I'm taking over this kingdom and kicking you up. Yeah, in a, in a sense, I can't. Yeah. But I there's and here's what I say. But and, and and what you did is you balanced it. You said, but it's it's not right. You balanced yeah. it because here's what the deal is. Every man is still responsible. Every woman, every child, is responsible for what they do, and they are to go to God. You know what? We are to sin, and be oh wait. Problem, problem there with that. We are to be angry and not sin. Boy, I really said that. Can I, you, can I go to the other side of this? I've seen people like that. Yeah. Just keep hanging on to all that stuff. It's wrong. Yeah. Things are eventually going to keep it. And you're going to keep it. And you're going to keep it. Yeah, right. It usually seems to rear up too, and nobody expects it. And you know, like you're you usually blindsided. Yeah. yeah. But you see yeah. people their whole life that hang on the same attitude that he has. Mm-hmm. And has not anybody not had anything done wrong to them that are unjust? Right. As Christians, when we have uh, when there uh, when there are unbelievers, they do things and they're angry and such. We want to go to them and offer them ultimately the peace of Christ. But first, you have to get through all of that thick stuff that's there. And a lot of bad things have been done to them. And it's been heaped upon them. I know, Vel, you, you went through a tough family life where you, you didn't relate, you didn't have a father. That's why I'm saying He was never there. But what made you different from a lot of other people that I've ran into? Anger and hatred and murder and arson. Look, I, I really truly feel like I had the heart of Joab and Absalom. That's why I feel like when I'm hearing this story, it just like, that very well could have been me and and that's, I'm glad you look at it that way. And I've got to ask this: What made you different? And so others don't; they go the other way. Spoke to me. There you go. And and you know what? You have a compassion there for those kind of people, and you can go to them and identify with them. That's why you can administer in a great way because you know exactly what it's like to go through. Aren't you? You're not going to ditch them off, are you? No. And find <laughs> <laughs> myself but, in situations like, yeah, I know how I got here. <laughs> but here, here's the thing: God uses that, and in David's case, let's let's pick on David for a moment. When we'll get out of here, but David abused his power that he had. That was a lot of his problem there. He deceived people. Remember, he he actually deceived Uriah and, and such. Uh, David abused his power. He oppressed those that he could sometimes to execute justice. And God knows that. 
God is going to make him see his sin in a different light. And this text has a lot to say about parenting. There's no perfect parents. David certainly wasn't a perfect parent. Uh, but good parenting pleases God. I don't want to say that you know you can't be good parents, right? But David's failures adversely affected this. And like, like you said, Ed, sin kind of begets sin and sin. A lot of those same things that David did, you just pointed it out, they are doing like what David is now seeing he's never saw before. Uh, the, you know, and to believe that our text was written to show us not exactly how bad David was or bad a father, even though there were things there we wouldn't really appreciate what he's doing. Uh, but he had a disobedient son. Uh, and that's what Absalom was. And he was used of God to discipline David. This is a man after God's own heart. So, you know what? And we could leave this text feeling like failures because some of us have had to go through where we felt like we have lost our children, our sons. Um, our sins do play a part in our ch- children's lives. But to decide whether to trust and obey, we cannot make them do. I wish we could. But what they do is what they're going to do. Anything you know, several times in this in this passage, uh, it was brought out how perfectly handsome, physically. Oh, there we go again. Great pride. Didn't that sound like Saul? Yeah. Well, David was also very handsome. He was ruddy, which I think is handsome. But what is ruddy? Do you know there is? Yeah, red. What does that mean? He's kind of red. I would have liked to have seen him myself. Did he have red hair? Have you ever seen Jewish people with red hair? Hey, I close this up. Thank you guys, because really what everybody's saying really comes together because there's there's like a couple of sides to all this, but if we just blamed it all on David or blame it all on the other guys, we see that here's where it really comes down to. And it's a simple answer, but it's the answer for a lost world. David could not save his son Absalom, no matter how. Do you think he would have saved him if he could have? I think David loved Absalom, although sometimes it seems like he really didn't show it. And we can't save our children. Maybe that's like a loyalty thing. You can't show your kids too much affection. Also, you had other sons, so you probably had to balance that in some sense, right? I mean, he still favored. Yeah, I wonder what he what he did with them. I, I, yeah. I mean, they all have yeah. their own personality, so it's like you've got to treat them like their personality. But that's, but that's still back to you, but it could have been a yeah. Later. Yeah. 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 Is, but here's the deal. God can accomplish what we cannot, no matter how much. And what He did, we're talking about having sons, and you know, in this sense, or children, whatever. God gave up His sinless Son to suffer, 
to die on the cross to pay for our sin, the guilt of our sins, it could be totally taken away. He gave up His own Son so that our sons, the daughters, can be forgiven and that we would become His children, right? And our children can become sons of God. What no man can do, we can't. God can do. And Only one. That David did, it would seem, maybe to me, he did indeed show mercy every time it was open for him to. I mean, yep. Absalom appears. Sure did. Kisses him and right there on the spot. They, they, they mentioned the point that, well, why is your son over in what, Gersha? Mm-hmm. Gersha or whatever, when he could be here. He embraced the mercy. I mean, so, so in a weird way, maybe that's the heart of God right there, is that anytime the window would open, he would say, well, then get in Thank you for that. It's kind of like uh, the uh, prodigal son story. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. Me. I never, I never heard of Joab. I was over there. I saw Moab. Moab's <laughs> 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 a little tougher than Joab. Yeah. Little meter. Tough. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Uh, We are amazed at You, and uh, just like what David the king did for his son there as he bowed down and kissed him. And Lord, You have received us into Your very arms as we trust in Your Word. And we have no right to be in Your presence just like David's son. We, we deserve death and hell. And yet, you bring us into your kingdom. But it's for the ones who trust you and obey you. Thank you, Lord, for giving that kind of grace to us so that we can please you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Also, I think-